Please open your Bibles with me again to Psalm 119, to the passage that we read together just a few minutes ago, Psalm 119. And in a few moments, we're going to be looking closely at verses 33 through 40. Well, here as we we tail off from the holiday pace, finish out December, I have a lot of good memories to draw upon. I trust you do as well. Some of you have been company with others, and you hated to leave, and, and uh, others of you have, ho- have hosted company, and you were glad to see them go. I mean, there's just different ways to look at this, right? If you're like my wife and me, we've been listening to our favorite Christmas music, even this morning as we were getting ready, I, I told her, let's put the Sovereign Grace Christmas album, um, Heaven Has Come, let's spend that one more time uh, this season. You have your memories and great uh, times that you're looking back on, I hope, and I hope that uh, that will continue even through this evening and tomorrow. But one of my, one of my t- top memories from this year's Christmas season has been two trips to Greenfield Village, and our family had the, the blessing of going there with Kathy and Carolyn White. Now, they go all the time, like they almost live there. Like, they take lunch breaks there, it seems. They know Greenfield Village front to back. They know everything about it, its history. They know everything that's contained in it. They know where to get the best oatmeal raisin cookies. Um, They know it all. But for me, this was the first time in my life I've ever been there. I mean, I was born in downtown Detroit and had never been to the Henry Ford. Still haven't been to the museum, or to the, uh, the, the, um, the Henry Ford, Greenfield Village and Henry Ford Museum, whatever. I haven't done the museum part. Um, uh, and I, but now I've done the village, and it was fascinating. My eyes were this big the whole time, and I still need to go back about five more times to just take in the village and everything that's there. But I know one thing. If I had one recommendation for you, whether you've been to Greenfield Village or not, you want to go one time in this life with Kathy and Carolyn White. They are historical scholars. They are hysterical scholars. And in my opinion, and I'm really persuaded with this, they are the best curators you could go with to just walk you through and point things out. I like that word curator. I'm going to start calling Kathy and Carolyn my personal curators. But you know, there's a A theologian in the United Kingdom, he's one of my favorite minds. He's still alive today, still writing, still speaking. I've had the joy of sitting into some of his uh, workshops and sermons before in person. His name is Sinclair Ferguson. And Sinclair Ferguson takes that word curator and the concept of a museum, and he talks about your Bible. Listen to Sinclair Ferguson. Scripture is like a working museum of which the Spirit is the curator, showing us around and explaining the wonders of the mind of the maker. In this museum, we are taken behind the scenes to learn from God himself. In growing to know God, therefore, there is no substitute for the discipline of Bible study and scripture reading and meditation. We cannot bypass the handbook God has given to us 
and then expect that we can know him in our own way. The only God we can know in our own way is a God that we make in our own image. End quote. What a lofty expression of loyalty and affection for the Bible. This is December 31st, and our habit as a church family for many years now is that when we gather on the first Sunday facing a new year, that Sunday morning is always time for my pastoral pitch to you. A pastoral pitch for you to read your Bible, and I argue your tactile Bible, your Bible that doesn't take batteries, the one that you get coffee stains on, tear stains on, the one you can write in and leave footprints for those who will find it after you're in heaven, that Bible. My goal this morning and the first Sunday of every year is to pitch for you to read your Bible every day in the coming year. Whether that's plow reading, as the Puritan said, where you go through quickly and cover vast amounts every day, or whether it's, as the Puritans would say, spade reading, where you dig down into one passage, one book, one chapter for a sustained season. Or as Tim Challies refers to those two types of Bible study, it can either be for familiarity, where you read, you read it quickly through, or reading it not for familiarity only, but more for intimacy, where you dig down deep in one spot. I'm shamelessly giving you my intent this morning, right up front again, as I do every year. I want you to read your Bible every day. So what passage do you go to for that, right? What passage? I, I could go to 2 Timothy 3, 15 through 17, where it says Scripture is sufficient. It's breathed by God, and it's sufficient for giving us wisdom into salvation. It's sufficient for telling us what's right, what's wrong, how to fix what's wrong, and how to keep right what's right. Or as Paul put it, for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and for instruction. I could go to that passage. I could go to uh, 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, and do that one again with you, where we read that, that the scripture is the source where God has given us precious promises, sufficient promises, everything we need for growth in godliness and Christ-likeness. I could go there. I, I could go to Psalm 19, where um, we find that uh, the six names for scriptures, the six effects of scripture. It's a great passage. I'm actually going to do that on a Sunday night series, I pray, even in this coming year. We've done that on Wednesday nights. Looked at that wonderful chapter. We could go there this morning. I could go to Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, and talk about uh, those verses that say that God speaks to us in times past through the prophets, but now through his son. We could go through those introductory verses. I could go to Hebrews 4, 12 to 13, where it says the word of God is quick. It's, it's alive. And it's active. You know those verses. But my choice this year, as we look at 2024, is to come to the, the longest chapter in the Bible, Psalm 119, and just consider one stanza. See, what do you mean by that? I'm so confident that if you understand today on New Year's Eve just one stanza from this really long psalm, 
you will be propelled. You will be urgently leaning into the daily journey through Scripture of 2024. I, uh, I love Psalm 119. We can land anywhere. My wife and I, our house was full the week before Christmas, and through that weekend, this past weekend, we've been just getting, or this past week, we've been just getting some rest, hanging out with each other. And we looked at each other, was it Friday? I think it was Friday, it wasn't yesterday. And, uh, and we were like, let's go out for a midday big meal at a breakfast place. You ever do that? For you, it might be IHOP or Cracker Barrel. Oh, well, my wife and I really enjoy First Watch. There's one in Canton and one in Ann Arbor. We went there and there was like an hour wait. It's like, well, where else do you want to go? We can go to the pancake place over there in Ann Arbor, Celine. And then she says, have you ever been to a place called Anna's House? It's on Eisenhower near the mall. She'd been there. I'd never been there. And I had been wanting to go there. So we said, yeah, let's drive over to Anna's house. And uh, it's right underneath Olive Garden, literally. And she was excited to go. She had a smile on her face because she knew what she was getting into. I didn't. When we walked in there, I might have used different paint, gone with a different theme, but I wouldn't have changed anything on that menu. You can order anything on that menu. She had a smile going in and coming out. I had a smile coming out, and next time I go in, I'm going to have a smile. Because you can't mess up. Whatever you order on that menu will be amazing. And it's the same with Psalm 119. Whatever stanza of the 22 acrostic stanzas we land in, we won't be disappointed. I want to direct your attention to the passage we read earlier, verses 33 through 40. And this stanza, the hate stanza, it's called, after the, every, every line, every, uh, every thought, every unit of thought begins with the Hebrew letter hate. This psalm, this stanza, won't just help you endure reading your Bible this year. It won't just move you towards a quasi-consistency. It will propel you to this urgent daily journey because it's going to teach you and teach me three, way, three different directions we need to look every morning. And these three looks will force us into Scripture. And we'll go in with a smile. We know what's coming. And we'll leave it with a smile as well. Three looks to think of this as a spiritual exercise assignment as you go into 2024. You just look, you do these three looks every morning. Every morning. So, as you know, maybe you don't know, we have a dog now. It's a poodle. It's a toy poodle. It doesn't know it's a dog. It thinks it's a people. But it's a dog, and my definition of a poodle is a cat with an expensive haircut. We have one of those. And as I get out of bed, the dog's bed's right next to to my bedstand, and uh, this is a true story. This this happened this past week. The dog was in its bed. I got down on my stomach just to go nose to nose with it, talk with it, see if it wants a bone or anything, you know. And it was waking up, you know. It laid its head down until I I started shaking the bed, and distracting it, and finally it got up. And that dog got out of its bed and did what it does every morning. It stretched first thing, stretched. I counted it five times. It's looking at me and stretching. And I'm just laying there looking at it. I'm just laying on the floor because, well, it's going to take a while to get up. I might as well get comfortable. 
And, and my wife, you know, I'm talking to my wife about this, and she goes, look at that. I'm like, I'm looking at it. It's stretching. It won't stop stretching. She goes, we need to do that. At our age, we need to stretch every morning. I said, well, come down here with me then. I mean, I'm already down here. I'm out of the stretch. Let's learn these. Uh, there's truth to that, I guess. Uh, the older you get, the more you should spend time stretching every morning. I want you to carry that image into what this psalm stanza is going to compel us to do. Maybe not stretch every morning, but look in three directions. The first direction it compels you to look is into your heart. Into my heart. Say, why? Why must we start with our heart? Because if you really knew how difficult things were in my heart and in your heart, you, it will create an urgency to get into God's word. My wife got me a book for Christmas by um, a retired um, special operator, a combat controller named Dan Schilling. And uh, it's the, the name of the book is The Power of Awareness. And he's just trying to teach people how to be aware of danger around you, how to live wisely, it's stuff like that, nerd stuff I like to read, right? And this author says that there are four colors of awareness that a lot of people live by in his world. You have white, yellow, orange, and red. White means you are unaware of what's going on around you and you're unprepared if there is an emergency. Yellow means you're relaxed but alert because there's the possibility of danger. Orange means you are alert to a very specific threat. And the color red means you're in a fight right now. When we come to this psalm, the color that goes off on our awareness of our heart and what's going on is red. We are in an urgent situation. You say, why is that? Because left to yourself, this psalm's this psalm stanza tells you a few things. First of all, it tells you that you and I are too easily satisfied. We are too easily satisfied. Uh, another word you can use there is this. We are too easily distracted. You say, what do you mean? Look at verse 36. We're going we're to drop down into different points here and learn about our heart. Verse 36 says, incline my heart to your testimonies. Why? Why, Lord, must you incline my heart to your testimonies? Because my heart is too often focused on something else. It says in verse 36, incline my heart to your testimonies, listen, and not to dishonest gain. Verse 37, turn away my eyes from looking at vanity, at emptiness. This phrase, dishonest gain, in the New American Standard, is a word that communicates profit, it communicates the idea of not only increasing your profit uh, uh, just peacefully, it has the idea of a violent increase of your assets. Now, there's stuff in your life uh, that you think is empty and you by force will take it from others to put it into your life. It's dishonest gain, it's violent plunder, if you will. And the scent and the aroma of the world of pirates would be appropriate for this. I want something I don't have and can't get, so I'm going to violently get it at any cost. That's my heart. That's your heart. James, our Lord's brother, was on to this in his epistle. 
James chapter 4, verse 1 and through 3, uses this kind of language. What's the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members? You lust and you don't have, so you commit murder. You are envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you don't ask. And you ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your own pleasures. I have a heart and you have a heart that is too easily satisfied, too easily distracted by everything else but by God's word. It's too easily satisfied. He says, get my gaze away from dishonest gain, from just having to be in control of getting and getting and getting. And then he said at the beginning of verse 37, I don't want to keep looking at vanity or things that are empty. This vanity, this this wanting emptiness, empty things in your life is, is a lust for immediate satisfaction instead of the contentment of the eternal. Your heart's too easily satisfied. That's why I'm saying you need to take these looks in the morning as you clear the cobwebs and brew the coffee. Remember that as the hours unfold in front of you on this new day, your heart will be, as the hymn writer says, prone to wander towards what's empty, towards what I can get. And there's a guarantee. Your greatest foe to your daily time in God's word in 2024 will be twofold. Your foe will be a glowing screen and a shallow lie. By glowing screen, I mean our electronics that we do business by and we, stay, we communicate with. But oh my goodness, how it robs us of whole hours of mindless activity as well. That's why I say have a, tecti- a, a, a textile. That's a, that's a road by my house. Have a tactile copy of scripture. One you can touch, one that doesn't glow. And put the glowing screens far away from you for 20 minutes. You'll be okay. Because you're hurt, you're... you're Your mind will wander. Not only glowing screens, but a shallow lie. When you hear the most shallow lie that is given most often as to why people don't read their Bibles, here's the lie. I'm not a reader. Now, I just offended some people, I'm sure, in the room, because you honestly say, I'm not a reader. Talk to me about your hobby, and I'll prove you are a reader. Talk to me about your team, I'll tell you that you are a reader. Talk to me about that social influencer or that decorator, and I'll prove that you are a reader. It might not be a page. It might be a screen. It might be something that you're reading or it might be something that you're part of a group that exchanges information. Don't allow your daily time to be killed because you are too easily satisfied and distracted every day. One commentator said, screens depict a never, never land, a world that simply doesn't exist. The fact is, you and I in 2024 will be fixated on something every day. It might be a relationship. It might be comparing us with other, our, with, with other people. It might be comparing our church with other churches. It might be comparing... Uh, how we did last year with the markets to how they're moving this year. 
It may be the relentless pursuit of peace at any cost. It may be the pursuit of escape through substance abuse. It could be hoarding. It could be obsessive compulsive behavior. It could be the lust of control. And I could go on and on and on and on. But you and I will be fixated on something every day. That's how our heart works. It's true. Worry is the hyper-control, the hyper-pursuit of satisfaction. We are too easily satisfied, but we take another look at our heart, and we see this. We, are, we too constantly are attacked. Too constantly attacked. Look at verse 39. Turn away from, or turn away my reproach, which I dread. For your ordinances are good. That first phrase, turn away my reproach. Now, what does that mean? This reproach word is, carries with it the idea of disgraces and shame. But it also has a heavy dose of taunting. In other words, this is a reproach that more often than not will be sourced outside of you against you. And if you're like me, when that happens, my sinful response to that taunting from outside of me only complicates things and makes it worse. Why? Why do we react when we're taunted? Because we're disciples of Jesus Christ. How do we react to that? Why do we react so strongly? It's because we have pride too. We care about others' opinion about us too much. Scripture calls it the fear of man. Proverbs 29, 25, the fear of man is a snare. It's a trap. As one Puritan commented, it's usually the last sin that we overcome. Everyone struggles with this. We are too constantly attacked, and in response to that, we muddy the waters with our sinful reaction, creating reproach. If you and I are going to live under the lordship of Jesus Christ, if we're going to serve our king and be faithful to our father in 2024, we are going to stand out as our Lord instructed us in the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to be salt and light, and whatever sticks out against the fallen culture around us will find reaction from that culture against us constantly. And 2024 won't be any different. As we look at our heart, we see that we are too easily satisfied. We're too constantly attacked. And this psalm stanza also tells us that we are too quickly detached. Too quickly detached from God and his truth. Because it's on this one that the psalm writer repeats himself in this stanza. Look at verse 37. Turn away my eyes from looking at vanity. Look at this. And revive me in your ways. And look down at verse 40 again. Behold, I long for your precepts. Revive me through your righteousness. Revive. What does that mean? It's really not hidden. It means to make alive. This is poking something to see if there's life in it still. And if so, bringing that out again. It's to create something vibrant. It's to animate It's to awaken. That's what it means to revive. When I sit down with another believer or when it's my turn to need counsel, the first thing that needs to be done in a setting like that is we need to re-engage with Scripture so that we can reanimate. 
Trying to make sense of life without going to scripture means to remain numb and lifeless. Can I say something to my fellow um, disciples who find yourselves in positions of spiritual responsibility in this church or maybe in another ministry as well? Can I talk to you for just a moment? Those of you in positions of spiritual servant leadership need to remember two things. You are not essential. In other words, God can get his work done without you. Whatever the position is he's settled, he, has, he has fit you into, he can do that work with someone else. You are not essential, and you and I are not exceptional. We didn't get a position because we deserved it, and we stood out from the crowd for so long, long enough that other people finally noticed. Neither of us, you or I, are essential or exceptional. But sometimes we think we are, or we act like it. Even while we bear spiritual responsibility in a ministry, it's okay if we don't read our Bibles. It's okay. We think we can get a shortcut on this one. We can escape. We can be the exception from all three of these categories, but the sad truth is we can't. And a position of ministry leadership doesn't exempt you from the urgency of taking a hard look at your heart every single day in 2024. You and I know, as a church family, as individual disciples, and especially of those of you who bear spiritual ministry responsibility, you and I know that our hearts can go all too quickly to a dark place like that. This is all of our hearts that are too quickly satisfied that are attacked and too quickly detached. I guess those three, or those three elements of the first look at our own heart is like a spiritual MRI. If you've had an MRI, you, you go home and you're a little nervous, right? Because you've got to wait now for the results. MRIs can be scary as you wait for the clear results. But the results will give you clarity for urgent action. Just like this hymn, though, this, 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 this stanza of this Psalm 119 has done to us. It's created an urgent need for action. And the urgent need of action is this. After we look in our heart, we look onto the page, number two. Actually, we rush into the page of God's word. Because once we are urgently, and we're aware of it, in need of help because of our own heart, we suddenly start seeing things that were there the whole time. It just became, these are things that became ambient realities in our life. It's like the first aid kit in our kitchen. You know our kitchen here at Calvary has, I believe, two first aid kits. Did you know that? Uh, some of you are going, yeah. Oh. I, I, I never see those first aid kits until I cut my finger on a Tuesday afternoon. You say, what did you cut your finger with? Yes, I'm not allowed to talk to you about that for another year now. I'm not allowed to use certain illustrations. But I know when I have a cut on my finger that there's a first aid kit there that I never see unless I need it. The Bible can be like that as well. When we see our heart, we are propelled down to this page. And suddenly we see things that were there the whole time. Because as I read my Bible, as you read your Bible, you see here every morning 
the only reality in your life that will give you these things. First of all, Scripture will give you an exhaustive sufficiency. An exhaustive sufficiency. You say, what do you mean by that? Look at verses 33 and 34. Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes. Look at this. And I will observe it to the end. Give me understanding, verse 34, that I may observe your law and keep it with all my heart. You have right here what is an amazing statement of the sufficiency of God's word. In other words, when he says, I will keep it to the end, I mean, there can be the the idea of completion, but the stronger idea here is every day through the end of my life. Whatever chapter of life you find yourself in in 2024, whatever decade of life, as you read God's word, you will see his truth unfold and give you his wisdom and his answers that will not only be sufficient for you for what you're facing today or tomorrow or this year, but if you have three or four more decades left in this pilgrimage, the answers will be the right answers then as well. You are exposing yourself, when you read scripture, you are exposing yourself to something that gives you the final answer you will ever need on any spiritual issue you will ever face, and it will be so magnificent that you will be, out of excitement, pursuing it with all of your energy. This is a statement of its exhaustive sufficiency. We talk often as a church family about the three keys to Hebrew wisdom literature, You have knowledge, which is the gathering of facts and truth. It's teaching, it's learning, it's instruction, it's even discipline. It's just learning. That's called knowledge in the Hebrew mind. But that's followed by understanding. Understanding isn't getting any more knowledge. Understanding is taking the knowledge you have and correlating it and letting it systematically engage with itself and and become clear in how it ties together. That's the second key understanding. The third key is wisdom, and that's where you're not getting any more knowledge. You're taking the knowledge that you now understand, and you're, it's affecting the decisions you make, the words that you speak, the thinking that you dwell on. That's wisdom. You know, all three of those are in the two verses I just read to you. All three keys. Teach me. That's knowledge. Give me understanding. That's correlation of that knowledge. Keep it. That's wisdom. Scripture is sufficient. I mean, left to yourself without daily Bible intake in 24 kind of leaves you unimpressed and unprepared for what you're going to face, doesn't it? But what else does Scripture do? It's not only provides, it's, it not only claims exhaustive sufficiency, but it also claims a guaranteed satisfaction. A guaranteed satisfaction for you. Look at the next verse, verse 35. Make me walk in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. I delight in that. See, what's that that Hebrew word for delight? Well, again, it's nothing hidden here, except that I want you to know that the volume's all the way up on this word. It's not just pleasure. It's ultimate pleasure. It's not just joy. It's ultimate joy. As a matter of fact, when you taste this, there's nothing needed to add to it to bring you more contentment. There will be guaranteed satisfaction 
that you get only by reading God's word. It's a, it's a satisfaction that the more you're in it, the more you look forward to being in it. I took my granddaughter, I think I'm t- twice now, Sila, I've taken to Cabela's, uh, and put her in a shopping cart in the seat facing me, buckle her in, and we always go to the fish tunnel. If you've been to Cabela's in Dundee, you know there's a fish tunnel. It's just wonderful, and it's dark, and it's just kind of intimate, and it's just kind of really cool. And you have all these fish from the Great Lakes area uh, in, that, in those, that tunnel. She knows what she's getting into every time she goes into it because she's been in it before. She has a big smile on her face going in, and just like my wife at that restaurant, she'll have a big smile on her face coming out. That's the way it is with God's word. The more you read, the more you smile going in, and you always smile coming out. This word delight is actually used of God. In Psalm 115, verse 3, our God is in the heavens and he does whatever he delights. When God does something, it's fully perfect in his will. And that's the word that is the effect it will have on us as we come to his word. That's a guaranteed satisfaction. Left to yourself without daily Bible intake in 2024, well, that will kind of leave you unsatisfied and unsettled, won't it? You'll still be looking for a lasting satisfaction throughout that day, won't you? But one, like one evangelical leader has put it, if you look for satisfaction anywhere else other than Christ and his word, listen, you are like the blind man in a dark room looking for the black cat that isn't there. You're not going to find it only in one place. But what else does Scripture claim? It gives you, thirdly, needed life. Needed life. And again, here's where I want to direct your attention to verse 37 and verse 40 for the one aspect that is repeated twice. It says, Revive me in your ways, verse 37. And at the end of verse 40, Revive me through your righteousness. Lord, things have gotten stale. Bring me back to life. Things seem dormant. Sometimes even boring. Lord, bring the life back. El Nino is robbing us of all of our snow this year, and I'm not a happy camper. And I just saw the long-standing weather forecast for January. It's going to look like December, I guess. Temperatures, okay. Snow, not much. And people are rejoicing, I'm not. But even without snow and even without a polar vortex coming down on us so far, it still kind of looks like winter around here. The trees are bare. My grass is dormant. The birds are, for the most part, silent. But mark it down, spring will come to Michigan around June. It will come the trees will fill up again with leaves that never existed before. The birds will be very loud and looking for food, and the grass will grow and be lush. That's new life. And the Bible does that. Listen, for your heart, every morning, every day that you open it, 
This theme of revive is all through Psalm 119. Look at verse 17. Psalm 119, verse 17. Deal bountifully with your servant that I may live and keep your word. That word live there is the exact same Hebrew word for revive. Look at verse 25. My soul cleaves to the dust. Revive me according to your word. Uh, Look at verse 37. Turn away my eyes from looking at vanity and revive me in your ways. That's in our, our, our stanza. Verse 40, again you see it. Verse 50. This is my comfort in my affliction, that your word has revived me. I could show you that again in verse 77, 88, 93, 107, 144, 149, 154, 156, 159, and verse 175. And every time, that bringing back of of an animated life is tethered to your time in the word of God. It gives you needed life. Here's a a life fact for you. You ready? No daily word, no daily life. None. I mean, left to yourself, without daily Bible intake, intake in 2024, that'll leave you kind of lifeless, right? Kind of numb, kind of blind, kind of deaf. Maybe you're here this morning or watching online and um, you absolutely never have an appetite for his word. I mean, you're familiar with religion, but there's really been no life in you ever. Then I would say your need isn't to get revived. Your, Your need is to get vived. Your need is to come into the life that God has promised in the gospel. And guess where the gospel's located? In his word. Peter's on to this. In 1 Peter 1.23, you've been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable, that is, through the living and enduring word of God. James was on to this. James said in James 1.18, he wrote these words, in the exercise of his will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. There's just something about Scripture, even the Gospel writer John, at the end of his Gospel, says in John 20, verse 31, I've written these things so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in him. It's this verse, my friend, that if you've never accepted the free gift of eternal life that Jesus Christ offers to you, this word tells you stuff like you're a sinner. And everyone has sinned. And we all have, as the penalty of that, the just wrath of God coming for us. The wage of the sin is death. But Jesus, according to this book, according to this word, we learn that Jesus was sent to die for the sin that you have. And if you place your faith and trust in him, you will be forgiven and enter into this life. Oh, this, gives you, this book gives you needed life, even if you don't even have it yet, as well as for those who are already God's children and the light's flickering and dimming. No Bible intake, no daily life. 
What else does the word of God claim that it gives to you? Letter D, opened eyes. Opened eyes. Say, what do you mean by that? Look at verse 38 of Psalm 119. Establish your word to your servant, look at this phrase, as that which produces reverence or fear for you. Your word, Lord, produces a fear and awe and a reverence of you. In other words, whenever we talk about the fear of the Lord, we are talking about an awareness of the fact that God, with all of his resplendent glory, isn't living somewhere in a big building far away. He is right here. He is present with us, and we're not consumed. He opens our eyes through his word to the fact that he's right here fully in all of his holiness and, 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 it, and it, it, it throws us on our face and we find out that we're still not consumed. As a matter of fact, he's here with great affection for us as his children, as our father. And that affection wells up in our heart an affection for him which affects how we live. That's the fear of the Lord. You know what the Bible does? The Bible alone reminds you and opens your eyes to what you weren't seeing a few moments ago, and that's that God is with you. He's there. Jerry Bridges, in his excellent book, The Joy of Fearing God, says we cannot separate trust in God from the fear of God. We will trust him only to the extent that we genuinely stand in awe of him. And we can't stand in awe unless the book is open. I told my wife this week in 2024, early on, I need to get my eyes checked. It's been two years and I'm noticing that the distance for the first time in my life is becoming a little bit of a challenge now. I'm dying right on schedule, right? And I want to get, I want to get that fixed because I want to see clearly again. I don't want to miss anything. You know what the Bible does? It lets you see clearly again what? The most important reality in the world, and that's that God, your Father, is with you. It produces a reverence in you. John Chrysostom, one of, our, one of the great Christian leaders from the end of the third into the beginning of the fourth century, was the, the spiritual leader at Constantinople. It wasn't a retreat center for him. It was a place of difficult ministry. He was a great, bold preacher. And the empress in that city didn't like him. Twice, he was exiled from his home. And when he was packing up for the second time, you know, people were asking him, you okay? And, and these were his words. This is someone that didn't fear people. He didn't fear the empress. He was aware of God's presence. This is what he said. What can I fear? Will it be death? But you know that Christ is my life and that I shall gain by death. Will it be exile that I fear? But the earth and all its fullness are the Lord's poverty. Or are the Lord's, excuse me. You want to take my money from you? Do I, or from me? Do I fear that? Riches I don't sigh for and from death I do not shrink. There was a, there was a contentment with Chrysostom because of what he could see. And it was that God was with him. I mean, left to yourself without daily Bible intake in 2024, that'll kind of leave you alone in your moments, won't it? At least you won't see 
who's with you. These MRI results from our first look at our own heart, coupled with Scripture's unique promises as we look down onto the page. Listen, it will move you from your desk chair, away from your coffee, and onto your knees. And this is the third movement. Number three, you look up to the author of this book. You start with your heart. You urgently have to look down and take in the truth. But you're not done until you look up to the author in prayer. David Garland, a great commentator on the book of Luke in particular, made this statement, battles are won or lost in the field of prayer, but even prayer can be a battle. He's right. Sometimes we don't know what to say. Well, this psalm will help us pray when it comes to you and your Bible in 2024. You say, what do you mean? We're going to pray for five effects informed by this stanza. And I just want to do a quick flyover for this. What do we pray? Letter A, teach me. Teach me. Say, what do you mean? Teach me what I cannot know by myself as I read your word. Verse 33, you see the word. Teach me. Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes. So, Lord, teach me from what I'm going to read. Secondly, give me. You say, what do you mean by give me? Give me what I cannot get by myself. Look at verse 34. Give me understanding. I can't understand what I'm reading unless your spirit puts it together in my thinking as I read this. Teach me what I cannot know by myself. Give me what I cannot get by myself. Thirdly, enable me. Enable me. Say, what do you mean by that? Enable me in what I cannot do by myself. Look at verse 34, last part of the verse. That I may observe your law, here it is, and keep it with all my heart. Verse 35, make me walk in the path of your commandments. This is a prayer for God himself to enable you to live out what you now understand because he's taught you. If that first prayer request is, Lord, open my ears, that second one is, Lord, open my mind, this third one is, Lord, open my will. But there's a fourth request, incline me, incline me. Say, what do you mean by this? This means incline me, Lord, towards what I cannot want by myself. Look at verses 36 and 37. Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to dishonest gain. Turn away my eyes from looking at vanity. Did you get that? Incline my heart towards what I cannot want myself. You are praying for God to align your affections. Listen. Away from something that's empty or a lust and towards what is truth and eternal. This is, Lord, open my affections. And then finally, establish me. Establish me. What does this mean? Establish what I cannot retain by myself. Make it stick with me, Lord. I don't want to walk away from this book and my coffee this morning and not remember either one. 
Look at verses 38 to 40. Establish your word to your servant as that which produces reverence for you. Turn away my reproach which I dread, for your ordinances are good. Behold, I long for your precepts. Revive me through your righteousness. You know, at the beginning of verse 8, excuse me, verse 38, it says, establish your, and it says the word, word there. Literally, it says, establish your promise to your servant. You're saying, Lord, open my eyes to what you've promised me. Because your word has promised me, even in this paragraph, even in these verses, that your word is my ticket. It's your grace given to me to enjoy the fear of the Lord, to turn my back on the fear of man, for me to have a sustained, growing hunger for your word, and for there to be a fresh aliveness about me. Those are your promises, Lord. Establish those in me. Make them permanent. I want to focus on what you have promised to me. Because as you remember from driver's training, when you're driving on a stormy night on a two-lane highway, no street lights, only your headlights, you were taught to to look at the line on the right, the solid line, when there's a car coming towards you. Why? Because you steer towards what you stare at. And it's the same in our spiritual walk. What we stare at, we will steer towards. And God's word will be established and firmed in us. What a stanza this is. What a launching point for 2024 for you and your hard copy of Scripture. I use it on my phone, yes. I use... Uh, Bible studies and readings on my iPad and on my laptop. Yes, I do. But I want my kids and grandkids someday to find a road map in a Bible on every page with footprints on each page. And not just mine. But when dad or grandpa saw the Lord's footprints on those pages, how meaningful was it to me? This wonderful stanza buried near the beginning of Psalm 119, is a stanza that voices an utter dependence on providence to overrule my will. So, you can leave your Bible closed in 2024, but just look at what you'll miss. You will have an unengaged heart, You will miss undeniable light and you will miss unbelievable help every day. I guess, I guess you can give it the same shot, the best shot that you did in 2023 last, you know, this year we're finishing up. You didn't read much unless you were forced to. You can do the same thing again in 2024, I guess, and hope for different results. Let's get a little help on this council. If I were to ask several key voices in recent history, if it's a good idea to try to do 2024 in a haphazard way when it comes to Bible reading, like we did last year, or should we be consistently in it? 
You know what Spurgeon would say to you, right? We hand him the microphone. He would say, nobody ever outgrows scripture. The book widens and deepens with our years. I am one of the bookworms that have not got halfway into my Bible yet, but I am eating my way as fast as I can. This one thing I have proved to myself beyond all question, I shall never, never exhaust this precious book. Much less shall I exhaust the wondrous person of my divinely blessed Lord. He is that bread which came down from heaven. He is utterly inexhaustible. That's what Spurgeon would tell you. R.C. Sproul, if we handed him the microphone, he would say, here then is the real problem of our negligence. We fail in our duty to study God's word not so much because it is difficult to understand, not so much because it is dull and boring, but because it is work. He continues, our problem is not a lack of intelligence or a lack of passion. Our problem is that we are lazy, end quote. Sproul usually did say things that way. John Piper, of course, has narrowed it down to one sentence. If we hand Piper the microphone, he'll say, if you haven't been jarred when you're reading the Bible, you're not reading it. End quote. But perhaps John MacArthur can tie off this interview. We hand him the microphone, and, and he says this, sanctification, which you know to be growth towards Christ-likeness. Sanctification doesn't happen by osmosis. We can't starve ourselves spiritually and still expect to grow in the likeness of Christ. All the facets of Scripture, all its rich benefits and blessings, are not available to those who fail or refuse to open it and study. End quote. They're all right. So here is your pastor closing out our last service, our last public gathering of 2023. I'm not going to prescribe for you a specific reading schedule. I know the one I like. I know that Pastor Michael has made sure we have several options of different types of reading schedules available to our church family at the, uh, at, in the lobby this morning in the track rack. I put a bunch of schedules in Friday's News and Prayer. Guess what? There's more going to be coming this Tuesday in the News and Prayer as well. I'm not going to prescribe which one you read. But what I'm going to suggest that you do and I'm pushing with all the pastoral weight I have. I want you to keep these notes from this message, this one stanza, as you press through 2024. Fold it, put it with a schedule of your choice, even if it's the, the men's ministry schedule, and pray this. Pray what we've been through together this morning, these notes, every morning, each day, on your way with your coffee, to your planned reading position every day. Look at your heart first, and down at the page, then up to the author. Especially verse 38. Establish your word to your servant as that which produces reverence for you. Every day in 2024, have a plan, have good coffee. And no electronics for those 20 or 30 minutes. You can do it. You can make it. And God's grace will cause you or your spiritual mind to explode with new life every day. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for the promises that your word 
has made about itself to us in just one stanza of a song this morning. You've given our heart an MRI, and there are no exceptions to this MRI. You've told us what the word will provide, and there's nothing else like it in the world that can make those promises. And so we desperately learn to pray today in response to our heart and your word. We treasure your grace. We treasure your wisdom as we press into a new year, living as your children, your slaves, your forgiven, your protected, and your recipients of your grace. Thank you for your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.